mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. From this time forth and forevermore, the scepter of wickedness shall not rest. On the land allotted to the righteousness, the righteous, lest the righteousness house of him should be wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, to those who are upright. Grace and peace over you as the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Uh, we're going to continue our series uh, through the Psalm of Ascent. And here we are in uh, chapter 125. Remember these Psalms. There's 15 of these Psalms that were read by the people of God as they journeyed up to Jerusalem three times a year to offer sacrifice, to offer praise and worship to God. That's where uh, they believed that God dwelled, was at Jerusalem. And so the, the people of Jerusalem, the people of God, were in exile. And so three times a year, they journey back up to offer praise and worship to God. And along the way, they'd say these 15 psalms uh, to themselves, corporately or corporately. And they would read these, they'd sing these as a way of reminder of the goodness of God and all that God had been doing for them and all the promises that God would fulfill in them. And so here we are in Psalm chapter 125. Uh, your Bible may say the Lord surrounds his people. That's the title of the message this morning, the, the Surrounded. And my hope is that as we journey through this psalm this morning, that we really would grab hold of this idea that we are surrounded by God. And if we believe that we're surrounded by God, that we trust God, then God will do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. There's three things that we'll look at this morning. We'll look at when we believe in God, we find our security in Him because He's all-powerful, because of all of His promises, and because there's the ultimate protection. So we'll look at God's power, God's promises, and God's protection. I don't know if you've ever been to the mountains. Anyone ever been to the mountains? Uh, I don't mean to disrespect uh, the Smoky Mountains. They're pretty and all. But have you ever been to the Rocky Mountains or to Alaska, to those mountains? I mean, those are massive mountains. And I remember I took a, a trip with Jared and another of my friend to go teach at a men's retreat up there. And I remember coming off the, 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 it, the way that Ala uh, Anchorage, Alaska, it's kind of like a bowl. And so there's the sea on one side and then all the other sides is surrounded by mountains. And I remember flying over uh, Alaska and as we were about to land and just was captivated by the majesty of the mountains. And I've... I've I assure you that the people of God, when they were journeying and they were going up to the mountain of God, they were reminded of the majesty of God because of nature. I don't know if you've ever been in nature. That's for me one of the quickest ways to get to my heart and, and the allness of who God is. Maybe it's the beach for you. But for these men and women, as they journeyed to Jerusalem, it was on a mountain, so they're captivated by the majesty of creation. But in the majesty of creation, it pointed them back to the sovereignty of God, to God's goodness, to God's grace. And they were in awe of that. And they began to pray this prayer and sing this song to God about being surrounded by Him. You know, that, that's for us, all of us in this room this morning. We're looking for one thing, security. 
Everyone in the room in some way, shape, or form this morning is, has been or is looking for security. It's in all of our hearts. You can see it from very early on, like with when, when you had children. Like they were terrified, at least mine were, of being alone in a crib. Like the touch of a parent coming into a dark room and just laying their hand on a child will bring soothing effects to a child. Because it's in all of us. And then we grow older and older and older and we, we try to convince ourselves that we don't really need security. But if we looked at our lives, all of our lives are marked with some form of security. Some of us work to death to have enough money to feel secure for the future. For some of us, we drink alcohol for security. Like there's something in alcohol that brings security. And so for us this morning, the question is this. Where are you finding your security? Is it in a relationship? Is it in your finances? Is it in your relationships with other people? Where is your security? security this morning because the same is true for these people the same is true for us we will surround ourselves with what we believe will make us feel secure or safe and so the question we must ask this morning do you feel secure in the lord like if you peeled back the layers of your life and really expose yourself between you and the Lord, not between you and me and you and the church, but between you and the Lord, where would your security be found? But here's what we know from this passage. We can find our security in God because God is all-powerful, amen? And because God has promises He's spoken over us and will fulfill, and we can find our security in God because ultimately God is our protection. He's our protector. Let's look at the first one. God is, uh, we find our security in God because of God's power. It says this in verse 1, Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abide forever. It says those who trust in the Lord. So highlight that in your Bible. Underline that in your Bible. Do you trust in the Lord this morning? Because if you trust in the Lord, what comes out of that trust is this, that you abide forever. You cannot be moved. You see, the psalmist is saying this about Mount Zion, but for the people of God, I said this earlier, for the people of God, Mount Zion or Jerusalem was a symbol of God himself. It was a picture. When they would talk about Mount Zion, they weren't talking about the mountain per se, they were, they were talking about God himself. And so it was a word picture for them. And so they would find their security in this mountain, but ultimately it wasn't the mountain itself, it was what the mountain represented. And he says this, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved. What cannot be moved? If you think about it, a mountain is unshakable. A mountain is unmovable. A a mountain is not going to just fall completely to pieces without some supernatural thing happening. 
And so the psalmist is saying, as a reminder to himself, hey, this mountain, God himself, is unmovable and unshakable. You see, that speaks of the power of God. The God in this very moment is resting on his throne, and he's unmovable. You see, when all the things on this chaotic world happening, we do not have a God that sits on his throne terrified of about what is happening or what's going to happen. He is all-powerful. He is sovereign over all things. And because he's sovereign over all things, he can sit on his throne with great confidence. You see, but I don't know if we truly believe that. I think we believe that intellectually, but do we believe that in our hearts? Do we believe that in the way we live our lives, that God really is all-powerful? You see, I think it's a lot like this for us. One of the things that Cedar loves to do, uh, which is, uh, it's strange, I know, but he loves to get on his changing table, and for whatever reason, as soon as that diaper comes off, he wants to stand up and tells me to back away, and he wants to play Superman in the nude. It's kind of crazy, I know, but that's, that's just how Cedar is. And so he'll get up on the end of the table, and I won't be moving. But his trust doesn't really believe that. How do I know that? Because his little arms begin to reach and reach and reach till he can feel me. And the moment he feels me, then he jumps. Well, that's not true trust. And I think so often we do that with God. That I think in little Cedar's brain, he knows I'm going to catch him. I've never dropped him before. He's jumped over a hundred times into my arms. I hold him securely and I put him back and we do the routine over and over again. But the routine always looks the same. I'm unmovable. I'm unshakable. But his trust in me is movable and shakable. And I wonder for us, church, do we stand on the edge of the cliff The way Cedar does on the edge of the changing table, reaching out, reaching out, hoping and hoping and hoping. And then finally he falls into my arms. You see, that's not what the Word of God is saying for us to do. If we really believe that God is unmovable and unshakable, then we will have a faith that jumps without having to test it. But I don't know about you. That's not true for my life a lot of times. It's like I got to poke at it and prod at it and make sure, man, God, are are you really unshakable? Are you really unmovable? Because I'll find my security in other things. How's that look in my life? That looks in my life like this. A a few years ago, before I came to, to Tennessee for a job, I made sure all the things were going to line up just how I thought they needed to line up before I took the leap of faith. You see, I had heard God months and months before, hey, I want you to move to Nashville and I will provide and take care of you. I heard that as clear as a bell sitting at Cracker Barrel in Fort Myers. And then for the next seven months, I had to make sure that Man, if God failed me, everything around me wouldn't fail me. So I wasn't really trusting in God. 
I was trusting in what he would provide, but I wasn't trusting in him. You see, trusting in him, the moment he said move, I would have been obedient and moved. Now, I'm not saying don't be crazy about it. If you haven't heard from the Lord, don't move until you heard from the Lord. But if you hear from God and God tells us to do something, then we need to be obedient to what God is telling us and see if he really is unmovable and unshakable. Will he really take care of us the way he says he'll take care of us? Here's what Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher in England, said about this verse and about God's unmovability and unshakability. He says this, He who by his own strength setteth fast the mountains and by that same power stays in the heart of them who trust him. This steadfastness wonder forever. And we may be assured, therefore, that no believer shall perish either in life or in death, in time or in eternity. We trust an eternal God, and our safety shall be eternal. Is that true for me? Is that true for you? I really believe that this morning. Because if I believe that, then my belief will say that I really do believe that God is all-powerful. I really will be able to say the way the psalmist said in verse 1, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. Not only, therefore, is God unmovable, but if I place my hope and faith in the unmovable God, the all-powerful God, therefore, I'll be unmovable. Not because of me, but because of who I place my trust and faith and hope in. You see, then I become steadfast, not because of anything I've done, but because I've now placed myself in the very center of God's will. And God's will is always perfect and right. So it's not because of me, it's because of God's all-powerful being that I place my faith in that I now become unmovable. In and of myself, I'm going to be a disaster. My life will be a disaster, and so are yours. But when I believe in the power of God and I place my life into His hands, then if He is unmovable, if I place my life in the unmovable hands of God, I cannot be moved. Do we see that analogy? Do we see that picture? If God's hands are unmovable, if I place my life into him, then my life will never be shaken. Not because of anything I've done, but because of all that he does for me. The second one is this. We can place our hope and faith and find our security in God because of God's promises. We see that in verse 2. He says, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord, here's the promise, the Lord surrounds His people from this time forth forevermore. The promise is that because of God's security, I place my hope in Him, He now surrounds me. Not only does He hold me, but now He surrounds me. That's a promise from God. And we see throughout the text, throughout God's Word, all the promises of God. Do we know the promises of God? Here's just a few. Do we know the promise that God will answer prayer? Isaiah 65, 24. Before they called, I will answer. While they were yet speaking, I will hear. That's the promise of God. Before we ever call on Him, He gives us an answer. But while we're yet speaking, He's already heard us. That's one promise of God. 
God answers prayer. God provides, Philippians 4, 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Like God will provide everything that we need. That's a promise from God. But do we live our lives out of that promise? God will care for you in your loneliness. He will be by your side. He says this in Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. You see, God goes with us everywhere. That's a promise from God. It's not like God on the first day of school, like me and Jenny did with Tennyson. We sat at the front door and waved goodbye to her and watched her leave. No, God goes with us everywhere we go. But do we live our lives that way? Or do we live our lives as if God is watching from from the front door of the house? Like in the chaotic moments, God is right beside us. In our deepest need, God is right there with us. Another promise from God, God gives us rest. First Peter, we studied this a few months ago. First Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Cast all of your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. And if I cast all of my anxieties onto him and I know he cares for me, then I can rest. And I can take a deep breath. And I can find rest for my soul. That's a promise from God. Another promise from God is from Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. We find the peace of God. And let the peace of Christ rule your hearts to which you were called into one body and be thankful. One of the promises of God is a peaceful life. The next one, promise from God, is strength. Psalm 18, verse 2. The Lord is my rock and my refuge, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. That's a promise from God. In those moments when we feel like we have nothing else to give, no other places to go, we go to God and God infuses us, not with our strength, but His strength. That's a promise from the Lord. The next one is this. Temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 through 13. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that that he stands take heed, lest he fall. Verse 13. No temptation has overcome you. It is common to man, but God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But when that temptation, he will also provide a way to escape that you may endure it. You see, that's a promise from God. The promise from God about temptation is we don't have to fall into temptation. We don't have to fall into sin because God made us a promise. When that temptation comes, he will always provide a way of escape. But do we live this way do we live our lives with knowing the promises of god and this is just a handful god's word throughout throughout all 66 books is full of promises 
I couldn't take all morning to go through all the promises of God. This is just a handful. Do we live our lives with really believing that he answers prayer, that he provides, that he is with us, that he gives us rest, brings us peace, gives us strength, and gives us a way out of temptation? Do we live our lives that way? When we start to believe in the promises of God, then our faith can cling to him. You see, if I just place my faith in myself, I know enough about myself that my faith cannot rest in myself. You see, if I really believe in the promises of God, then my faith can cling to Christ and Christ alone. Where does our faith cling to this morning? You see, we know this to be true we know trouble is coming amen i guess i'm the only one i didn't get an amen from that we know trouble is coming amen and if we place our faith in ourselves alone then we know in and of ourselves when that trouble comes we will all fall how do we know that because we've all done it but we also i pray you've also experienced when you've placed your faith in an unmovable, unshakable God and hold God to his promises that you make it through the trouble. Not because of anything you've done, but because you've clung to the one that takes you through it. Where's your faith in? What are you trusting in today? Again, where do you find your security? Where do you find your hope? What promises are true for you? Here's the last one that this text tells us. We've seen that God uh, keeps his, is all powerful. God keeps his promises. And now the last one is this. It's in verse 3. It says, For the scepter of the wicked shall not rest on the land of allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands and do wrong. He's saying this in this verse. He's saying God will protect us. You see, the the scepter was this tool for the king. And when the king had the scepter, it meant that he was sovereign and ruling over all things. And it would say this, if if the king put his scepter on something, that the moment the scepter hit the allotted land, that allotted land was taken from whoever it belonged to. So if a king would come in and say, hey, that's mine, it didn't matter who was dwelling there, they had to give it away. And what this psalmist says, the scepter of the wicked shall not rest on the, lo- the, the land that was given to us by God. No matter what happens, we have the protection of God. Now, that, That's not talking about our physical protection. What that is talking about is our eternal protection. No one can, is what Jesus says, no one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. You are eternally protected protected because of your place and hope in his hands which means you can't lose your salvation if no one can take it from you you can't take it from yourself once we've placed our hope and faith in christ once he's drawn us to himself and our life is found secure in the powerful hands of god and all of his promises you can't mingle your way out of his hands nor can anyone snatch you out of the Father's hands. You have eternal protection. And yet so often we don't live our lives that way. 
we live our lives on this rat race that I've got to do more. I've got to be more righteous. I've got to be more holy. I, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to. Rather than resting in the protection that God has already done for you what you cannot do for yourself, which is your salvation. Don't you believe this to be true? If God gave you the greatest gift that could ever be given to you in his son, Jesus Christ, don't you think God want to protect that more than you want to protect that? Like if someone gave somebody a gift, like I gave Jenny the engagement ring. Like I'm doing everything I can to protect that ring. A, if it got loose this week, the diamond got loose. I said, Jenny, go take it to the jeweler. Go get it insured. Do whatever you got to do. I'm going to protect that gift that I gave to God. That, that's a small example of yet God gave us his precious son. So we don't have to protect that gift. That gift has already been protected by God and God alone. All that we have to do is rest and enjoy the gift that's been given to us. We don't have to keep working for this gift. The only work that we have to do is ongoing confession. That's it. Other than that, we get to enjoy the greatest gift ever given to us. But so often we run ourselves ragged, hoping that we don't lose the gift. Or hoping we want to perfect the gift. No, God's given it to you. God will do what God wants to do in and through your life if you simply rest in his powerful hands and hold him to his promises, the protection's already happened. But church, we don't live that way. How do I know we don't live that way? Because we don't live the last part of this verse. We don't live with peace. See, we really do believe that God is all-powerful, that God has promises for us, and God's our protector, then we will have a peace. It's what he says to us in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't think, church, we live the way God intended us to live, the victorious Christian life. See, I, I believe that we still live our lives based on we're not real sure if he's won the victory or not. Like we're doubting, is, is the, fin the finality of it all, is God really won it all? Because it, right now it doesn't appear that way, does it? Like when you turn on the TV, does it look like God's won it all? No. All the chaos, all the confusion... So we begin to believe in the lie from the media that God doesn't have it all under control. That God isn't all powerful and that God hasn't kept his promises and there's no protection in God. We begin to believe those lies. And those lies are from Satan. He's going to doubt the power of God. He's going to bring us to doubting the promises of God. He's going to doubt us bringing the protection of God. How do we know that? Read Genesis chapter 3. That's exactly what Satan did in Genesis chapter 3. He offered something to Adam and Eve of doubt about God's power, God's promise, and God's protection. 
and they bought into it. And when they bought into it, then what did they do? They ran from the presence of God and they sought their own power, their own promises, and their own protection. And we've been in that lie ever since. And this psalmist is saying, hey, if you really trust in God, then let's trust in his power. Let's trust in his promise and let's trust in his protection. Because when we do those three things, it's what the very last verse, peace be upon Israel. Peace be in your souls. Because we have one that's won the victory already. You see, the final battle has already been won. It's already been written about. It's over. It's done with. Your salvation is secure. Your heavenly reward is waiting for you. So let us live that way. Let us live as we live in victory already. But we live in the rat race. We don't live our lives really believing the victory has already been won for us. Do we? You see, we live our lives without that confidence. This is the best way I know how to give the illustration. There's this massive test. I've told you all about the test of all tests for for counselors. And I'm delaying and delaying and delaying and delaying to get it over with. Because I don't have the assurance to know that I'll pass. I don't have that confidence. I mean, I've studied. I went to school for it. I've done, I've, I've done over 2,000 practical hours of it. But at the end of the day, when I start thinking about the test, I think, man, there's a possibility that I'm going to fail this thing. And so I live my life that way. I live my life in doubt. I live my life in confusion. I, I live my life in spending more money than I really need to on a su- uh, supervisor. Like, I, I got to pay this lady $60 a week so she can supervise my cases. And I say to myself, I'd rather do that than walk into a room and fail. That's not very wise with my cash flow. But I live my life that way. And how often do I live my life in my Christian walk that way? Like, do I really live out, man, hey, Todd, you're going to get a passing grade at the end of the test. Because if you were to say that to me today and you knew without a shadow of doubt, if I took the test tomorrow, I'd pass, I'd go take the test. With no doubt, with no fear, with no trepidation, I'd just go walk in, take a test, fill out the Scantron, pass it, get uh, get my license and be done with it. But you flip that on to my Christian life. I live so much of my Christian life of, oh, man, I'm going to fail. Of, oh, I'm not sure if it's going to happen. Or I'm not sure the promises of God or the protection of God. Now, I do it in a a crafty uh, way that's not so blatant. But I doubt God. Am I the only one in the room? I'm just being honest this morning. And because of my doubt in God, I don't always have that peace that this is talking about. I don't always have that rest that this passage is talking about. Because in my mind, I could say it all day, man, I am an unmovable mountain the way it talks about in verse 1. But verse 5 doesn't always apply to me. I don't always have the peace. I sit with a lot of anxiety, a lot of worry, a lot of, man, what ifs. 
There's a lot of things in my life in this very moment with some things going on. I, I don't know the outcome of it. And I, I'll lay in bed and I'll just think of all the scenarios, of all the what ifs, rather than just placing my peace in God and saying, God, you are sovereign over all things. You, you knew this was going to be part of my life before I was ever born. You knew this was going to happen to me five years ago when I decided to move from Fort Myers to Tennessee. Like, you know it all, God. Because you are all-powerful. And there's so many promises in your word. And ultimately, you are for my protection. And when we begin to live that way, we will put our peace and we will have peace in him. In closing, I want to read this prayer from St. Patrick, an amazing godly man in Ireland. And you talk about a man that faced persecution after persecution, doubt. I mean, this, if, read a biography on St. Patrick. But this is what he would say each day. I rise today through God's strength to plot, pilot me. God's might to uphold me. God's wisdom to guide me. God's eyes to look before me. God's ears to hear me. God's word to speak to me. God's hand to guard me. God's ways to lie before me. God's shield to protect me. God's host to save me from the snares of the devils. From temptations of vices. From everyone who shall wish me ill. Christ to shield me today against poison, against burning, against drowning, against wounding, so that there may come to be an abundance of a reward, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I rise. I rise today through a mighty strength. You see, here's a man that knew. If he places hope and his trust and his faith into the mighty work of Christ Jesus, the gospel, that all things would come to him. And so the challenge I have for us, I have for my own life today, where do I find my security? Where do I find my hope? Where do I find my strength? For you individually, where do you find your security? Where do you find your hope? Church collectively, where do we find our security? In a bank account? In a building? In a pew? In the tithe that we gave? In our Sunday school? In a new sign? Where, church, do we find our security? Let us pray. God, I pray that we become the people of God that you've called us to be. That this would be a psalm for us, God, that we here at Powell's Chapel would hold on to and we'd sing. Those who trust in the Lord 
are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. God, I pray if there's someone in here this morning that hasn't placed their hope and their faith and their trust in you, then they are movable. They are shakable. Their, their eternal security has not been founded, God. I pray there's someone in here that finds any security and anything that this world has to offer that in this moment you'd bring conviction. And that this morning would be the morning they'd turn from the security of the world to their security in Christ. God, I pray for us, the believer, that's placed our hope and our faith in you. That, God, if there's something in our lives this morning that we find security in other than you, that you bring conviction to that. And we'd repent of that, God. God, I pray that we, as your people, would find our soul security in you. You are our hope. You are our security. You are our righteousness. God, you are an all-powerful God that keeps his promises and protects our soul to the end. I pray that would be true for us. God, I pray that verse 5 would be true. Peace be upon the people of Powell's Chapel. Pray this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus. Amen.